All right. We are live on Monero Talk. We have reached the pinnacle of uh, the, the crypto cryptosphere here. We have none other than Andreas Antonopoulos on the show today. Uh, he is a man that needs no introduction. Uh, if you were lucky as me, he was the man that opened opened your eyes probably to the paradigm shifting nature of Bitcoin at a time when nobody else was able to explain it. That's what I know him as. Um, it's uh, my observation and belief that many of the core values and the ideals that have been woven into the brand of Bitcoin is thanks to Andreas Antonopoulos and his ability to convey these ideas. So today we're, we're very honored to have him on and it's, it's, it truly is a privilege. And uh, the goal of the show today, uh, in my eyes, is to discuss um, those ideals and those uh, things behind crypto that, that we've all come to know because of Andreas and to look at them through the view of, of, of Bitcoin and also of Monero. Uh, obviously, this being the Monero talk show, we want to get Andreas's opinion on on the project we all love here, Monero, and uh, really, really find out why why Monero isn't isn't being talked about more among uh, people like Andreas and some of these other cypherpunks and crypto anarchists who really understand the the, the true nature of, of cryptocurrency. So, but before I break into, into the interview, which obviously you guys are all here for, I'm going to give the quick, uh, the quick pitch uh, of our sponsors. So our sponsors, as you know, are for any of you who've been watching the show recently, uh, is Cake Wallet. And we've re recently added XMR.20. Uh, so Cake Wallet, the premier uh, iOS wallet for Monero. So if you're getting into Monero or you're already into Monero and you have uh, an iOS uh, iOS phone, uh, we highly recommend Cake Wallet. It's open source. Uh, it's vetted by the community. Um, its ideals align with the community. And that's also why we've added XMR.to. We reach, recently reached out to them and they agreed to be a sponsor as well. Um, XMR.to. 2.0 for anybody who doesn't know, most people in the Monero community already do, is kind of a is basically a bridge between Bitcoin and Monero. It's a way to seamlessly uh, transfer between Monero and Bitcoin. So for those of you who love Monero, love holding Monero, love the idea that it is uh, anonymous and private, but then also want to use it in the in the real world practically. Uh, this is a way to then take advantage of Bitcoin's liquidity and uh, to basically use Monero wherever Bitcoin is accepted, allowing you to seamlessly uh, transfer your Monero into Bitcoin wherever Bitcoin is accepted. And you can do all those things through Cake Wallet. Uh, both those companies are teamed up together on Cake Wallet. The la last thing I want to mention before we get to Andreas is Gratuitous. Gratuitous is the project that we're working on here. Uh, gratuitous.org. It's a little side project we're working on, and it's basically a way for the people behind, uh, a way to tip the people behind the product. So we're starting off with coffee, and uh, you could buy our coffee. We're trying to raise money for the show through that. But then what the nice, neat idea is you could send a tip in Monero directly to the farmers that are farming the coffee in Brazil. So now I, with no further delay i will jump into the interview with andreas andreas thank you for having us or having being on the show i'm all nervous i'm all flustered um That's my, okay. my first question are you a coffee drinker 
Yes, I am. Uh, right now, decaf, because it's pretty late here. Okay. Cheers. And my, my second question being, when do you think it will be uh, a normal thing? So we, we were starting gratuitous as a little side project, more of an experiment than anything else. When do you think it will be commonplace for somebody to be able to tip their farmer, their, their, their coffee farmer in cryptocurrency uh, as easy as it or as, as normal as it is to tip your cafe barista? When will that day come? Obviously, we're testing it, but when, when will it be a normal thing? When, when, oh, when will boy. everybody be doing this? I have no idea, but you know, uh, sometimes I wonder, do we really want it to be normal? Um, you know, Facebook is normal, at least to normal people. Um, and if that's normal, I don't want to be normal. So, you know, may maybe that's not necessarily a good idea. Maybe we can build entire economies um, in places where people don't have too many choices that are not part of what we consider normal here. So you're saying you're saying the day it becomes normal is uh, it will be a sad day. Well, I think that what we've seen is that as really idealistic projects, uh, the internet, for example, and many other projects since then become more mainstream. It dilutes the values, uh, and people join and they forget why we started these projects or got excited about these projects in the first place. And as the values and principles get diluted, my job gets harder and harder. So. I, I see my job as greeting people at the door and trying to help them understand what the real reason is behind this project and remember what the principles are so that when the price does another, you know, big uh, run up, run down cycle, they stick around because now they're interested in the reason behind the, the reason they joined. So. I, I don't know that normal and mainstream is definitely a desirable thing. Okay. I can tell you, though, that um, I think my very, very first purchase um, using Bitcoin in 2012 was a one-pound bag of coffee that got shipped to me from Arizona or Colorado, I want to say, and I paid... 15 Bitcoin for it, and it was crap. Yeah. It was not good coffee. <laughs> uh, but I had done, I had made a retail transaction and I was so happy. It's my pizza story, right? Everybody I think who's been in for a while has that pizza story where now they would like think, oh, I, I could have funded someone's uh, university um, <laughs> or something like that instead of buying a bag of coffee. But sure. maybe the person who sold me the coffee paid for his kid's education. So that's a good thing. What do you think of this concept of being able to tip the uh, the people behind the products? Like, so, I mean, because that's, I see that as a use case, something that you weren't able to do pre-crypto that you can now do, right? There was no way before crypto for you to be able to send right. something peer-to-peer -to, -peer to some, somebody around the world uh, goes directly from you to that other, you can, you know, send them a dollar or 15 cents. Uh, yeah, how do you I feel mean, about that, that concept in general? I love that concept as someone who does creative work and produces work that I mostly give away for free. Um, the idea of being directly connected with my audience and being able to have my audience um, 
fund me directly so that I'm not relying on sponsors, I'm not relying on a corporate job or something like that is critically important. And I think the, the more we bring people directly in contact with their audience, their customer, their buyer, their um, user, whatever they may be doing, the, the better it is. Because, you know, what's the alternative to peer-to-peer? It's the system we have now, which I like to call peer to corporation, to corporation, to corporation, to corporation, to peer. And who invited all those corporations? You know, nobody invited them into the transaction. Uh, you know, when you take out your visa card, you're inviting five other parties into the, into the game and, and they didn't do anything productive. Uh, and, and they extract probably the biggest fee out of the transaction. So what what has surprised you most in the crypto space in terms of where you kind of saw you saw things going one way and now they're going another way or maybe you maybe you had some ideas in the early early days like I, like I had mentioned in the intro uh you were kind of one of the the visionaries in this space able able to comprehend this sooner than most and convey these ideas um has there been anything that has surprised you in terms of how you kind of predicted and saw things going versus where they are now? Um, I thought we'd have a lot more pushback from governments much earlier in the game. And uh, I didn't anticipate all of the internal drama. And maybe the two are related. Maybe some of the early pushback um, came in, in very careful kind of inf community infiltration and creating artificial drama with sock puppets. Um, but then again, it's human nature to to get uh, pretty tribal. So the the whole situation where we had this explosion of experiments and uh, people tried all kinds of different ways, and we ended up with all of these different brands competing for attention. Um, that created a lot of tribalism, and um, a lot of opportunists took advantage of that to kind of divide and conquer the community. So that's that really surprised me. I thought we would have a lot more straightforward David versus Goliath uh, battles with, with governments uh, instead of uh, David versus David 2.0. You're not the real David. I'm the real David. Shut up, David. <laughs> you know? hey, guys, Goliath is standing there waiting for us to get our shit together. Um, how about we stop fighting all the other Davids? Um, so that's kind of my non-maximalist view of, of the space. And it, it, it surprised me a bit. Yeah, so to follow, follow up on that, um, I, just, I just had an, an, uh, a Bitcoin uh, maximalist moment yesterday. Probably one of the worst I've had, actually, since I've been in the space. Um, a company that requested to come on this show because uh, they wanted to uh, basically pitch themselves to the Monero community because they were adding a new service I'll, I'll just say mm -hmm. who it is, BTSE, this exchange. Um, and they wanted to come on, and we've actually had them on before, and we had a nice interview with them, but they wanted to come on because they wanted to pitch a new service that they were adding. And sure, you know, I thought, all right, let's, let's do that. Um, you know, because any, anything that will help the Monero community. So they were, they're, they're going to be adding Monero futures, which whether or not that's a good thing, that's, that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> but uh, what, what, what ended up happening was they, they looked at my channel and they saw that uh, Daniel Krawitz uh, was in, 
recently interviewed on this show. Uh, I had brought him on this show and uh, they, they did not like that. They did not like that to the point where they no longer want to associate with this show. And that was kind of my, my first real taste of uh, toxic maximalism to the point where they wow. didn't want to uh, associate with us because we associated with somebody else. And I just see that kind of as the, the, uh, the ultimate sign of, of things going bad, right? So do you, do you see Bitcoin maximalism as potentially kind of being the Achilles heel to Bitcoin? Uh, the, this, this hubris, this, this, uh, well, we think, we Not think, really. we think we're digital gold. We think we already won. And yeah. could that be what ends up biting Bitcoin in the, in the ass is that the fact that they already thought they won. So they're, they're not uh, they're not evolving enough. They're not thinking about evolving. They they kind of already think they they made it to the the top of Mount Olympus here. Not to use too many Greek references, but uh, yeah. W- w- what's your opinion there? Does is is the hubris of Bitcoin a potential Achilles heel? I, I think hubris is is absolutely a problem in any community. But then again, you know, most of that is is a very, very small minority. And that small minority, generally speaking, isn't doing much productive work. Um, so it's it doesn't really matter. What it does do is it's a, it alienates uh, new people coming to the space because before they even have a chance to look at what's happening in the space, um, they, they, they find all of these very, very loud voices screaming at each other. And, and that alienates people, um, especially when that's combined with a very kind of nasty attitude towards um, towards different parts of the community. So, but you know, I don't see that as an Achilles heel of Bitcoin for the simple reason that um, back in 2014, 2015, when we started having the the big scaling debate and things got really dramatic and nasty in in Bitcoin. Um, people, people started asking me from other communities, you know, do you think this is going to be the downfall? I'm like, no, no, listen, pay close attention because what's happening in Bitcoin now will happen in your cryptocurrency next. As soon as you get popular enough, as soon as people think they can make some money off it, as soon as things get serious, all of the Kumbaya attitude is going to end and you're going to have some serious infighting. And of course, you know, then that happens with Ethereum and it's happened with every single other one. So anytime I'm being attacked by a whole bunch of Twitter trolls, I look around me and I say, well, who isn't being attacked in this community? Um, and the answer is no one. Like everybody gets attacked as soon as they have anything to say, there's someone there to attack. So I, I, I think that's just human nature. Um, I think it's alienating to a lot of the new people who join. Um, but I think that it's it's up to those of us who are not playing that game to to do kind of calm and neutral education about the benefits of technology and try to cut through that noise and provide a safe space for people to have technical uh, conversations and learn about these things with their open-eyed enthusiasm that they have in the beginning. You know, there, there's, there's a very, very big gray area between advocating for um, outright scams that are obvious and closing your eyes to any uh, experiment or technology that doesn't follow this kind of rigid doctrine. And I've never gone for either extreme, um, 
but I'm I'm curious and interested in other technologies other than Bitcoin, and and I think we should look at the ecosystem as a whole and see what we can learn from each other. And not everybody needs the same things. Not everybody's interested in the same thing. So I don't think it's an Achilles heel. I think it's going to happen to every cryptocurrency. Yeah, I will. I will say, obviously, like you said, I don't think any community is immune to it. I will say, though, I think Monero has done a very good job. I don't know how fo- uh, you know how closely you follow the Monero space, uh, but if you mm-hmm. if you ever check out our Reddit, uh, it's 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 quite impressive. Uh, on every Sunday, even is Skepticism Sunday in, in Monero land. Uh, it's kind of something that we try to make part of our culture. Uh, so it's not so much Monero, but it's about digital cash. Let's become digital cash. Are we? Th- right. we're, we're not necessarily there yet, uh, and we're trying to be cognizant of the fact that uh, you know this is a, this is a project in motion. It's dynamic, and to just realize that you know you're not perfect, and you need to continue to evolve. So. Well, from my perspective, as someone who uh, obviously has spent a lot of time trying to educate people about Bitcoin and started in that space, um, I was uh, at times relentlessly attacked by members of the Monero community. Um, and usually it was it was that this this it's this dynamic that plays out on Twitter, which is like, I like apples. Uh, and you make a statement like that, and then a hundred trolls come out of the weeds, and they're like, "Why don't you like oranges? You hate oranges. Why don't you say oranges? You should have said oranges. You're not telling people about the beauty of oranges. You liar. Why are you hiding the truth about oranges?" I'm like, uh, "I didn't say. I, I just said I like apples. <laughs> Calm down, everyone." For um, for a while, I think. Um, uh, Fluffy Pony blocked me and I blocked him on Twitter. There was some drama there. There was a lot of like political fighting. Um, nothing really personal. It was just kind of, um, I, I just, Twitter operates on a different scale. When you have a lot of followers, you spend most of your time is in your mentions instead of your timeline. And um, that's where 10, 10x or 100x more interaction happens. And if people kind of jump on everything you say and start trolling, it gets very difficult to navigate. So uh, I've had my share of challenges with, with the Monero community. It's not, it's not all roses from, from my perspective. I, I never took it personally or thought this was about Monero. But, but trust me, people get tribal in every cryptocurrency. For sure, for sure. Yeah, somebody had reached out to me before this interview and, and gave me some of that background, actually, saying uh, uh, Andreas may have a little bit of a sour taste in his mouth regarding Monero from the early days. So they, they, they didn't, they didn't give not me... not regarding Monero, simply just um, at some point, you know, some it, it, there's a very big difference between Monero and some people who use Monero in their Twitter handle, right, who are very aggressive on uh, Twitter. I mean, you have Monero maximalists. It's a natural thing. I, I no longer take it seriously. 100%. So I get the big question on everybody's mind in Monero land is, you know, like like I said in the intro, we listen to you. We all listen to you. Uh, many of us are are aligned with, with the ideals that you preach and, um, you know, uh, your understanding of cryptocurrency and the importance of cryptocurrency. 
Uh, and we hear you say these things and we think, we think Monero. It sounds like you're, often it sounds like you're talking about Monero without saying the word. Uh, even when you, you know, you, you, you talk about Bitcoin, but then you talk about, oh, but it needs to be, you know, it'd be great if it was fungible at the protocol level. It'd be great if it was, uh, had privacy built in to the, the protocol level. And, uh, we all here think, well, isn't that Monero? So I guess what 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 is your what is your response to that? Are you are you thinking Monero when you say those things, or what it, what is the uh, what's the disconnect there? It's not really a disconnect. It's simply the fact that I have time to focus on only a few things that I can understand at a level where I can express a, a good, well based opinion. Right. So I. I, I like to understand the technology before I talk about it. So I've had time to experiment and use uh, really a handful of technologies to a level of depth that I feel comfortable talking about them in detail. And actually, I do talk about Monero. Uh, I do talk about Monero. I talk about Zcash. I talk about uh, Dash. I talk about Ethereum. Um, I, I do talk about things that I feel offer some interesting experiments in areas that differ from Bitcoin. And I don't really see them as competing. Um, yeah, I've, I've, from the very beginning, from 2014, 2015, I talked about the fact that this isn't a zero-sum game and it takes a big ecosystem. The bottom line is really simple. Um, my work is about reaching the next 10 million people who are going to come on board to the cryptocurrency space as a whole. And when it comes to that, my ability to speak cogently, to uh, bring people on and to express principles about privacy will inevitably involve using uh, the system that has the most liquidity, the most on ramps, the most brand recognition. And so I'm on ramping people to Bitcoin. They'll find their way. Uh, I'm not worried about that. I don't see this as if I bring more people into Bitcoin, they're not going to go to Monero. Quite the opposite. I feel if I do bring more people into Bitcoin, those who need will also go and find the things that fit their application uh, and their need more. Um, but at the same time, you know, there is a bit of a strategic thing there, which is do you really, really want people to know too much about Monero. Like, imagine if I'd gone to the um, Senate testimony in Canada and talked all about uh, Monero. That would not have been a good outcome, right? It, it's a lot easier to make these negative associations um, that, that people who are afraid of privacy make with Monero than it is with Bitcoin. Um, I don't want to give people too much ammunition. So, I, you know, I, I can be someone who is very, very interested in Monero and studies the technology and tries to learn more about it and gradually talks more about it the more I understand um, without it being the first thing that comes out of my mouth. It's not me neglecting Monero. It's just simply I have limited time to put my focus in one place and do really, really well at one thing. And that changes over time. And I've spent some time working on a number of different projects. Um, but when I say something good about X, that doesn't mean I'm not interested in Y also. And there are actually some pretty good advocates of Monero out there um, who I, I do watch <laughs> and pay attention to what they say. Do you see, uh, so do you essentially 
potentially see Bitcoin as kind of being the Trojan horse uh, and Monero being uh, what 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 sneaks through the, the city gates afterwards. So I, I kind of feel like you were suggesting that I there. I see Bitcoin as the tip of the spear because in many cases, um, the onboarding role um, is re- really requires the easiest to use, most developed software, the best user interface on the front end, and the highest liquidity on ramps and the biggest customer base in order to get the onboarding done. And then the rest of the sphere isn't just Monero, it's the entire uh, crypto um, system, the, the ecosystem. It's, it's everything that comes behind. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, part of that means we're, we're also bringing along a bunch of free riders who are you know, shilling their scams. But um, to me, that's that's an inevitable uh, outcome of simply opening the doors to alternatives and choices. People are not necessarily going to make the right choices, but we need to first give them the opportunity to make a choice that is not fiat, that is not their surveilled national currency, especially in the places where they have uh, very, very strong surveillance and currency controls. And t- to me, the, the thing, the tip of the spear that opens the door, the thing, the, uh, the thin end of the wedge, if you like, is Bitcoin. And uh, it provides liquidity to everything else. It's the reserve currency of crypto. That doesn't mean I don't value everything else. I, I actually see the, and, and this opinion has evolved over time, but I see that in many cases, many of the choices that Bitcoin has made uh, make it unsuited to the types of applications that other blockchains and cryptocurrencies can do and vice versa. Meaning that as each crypto specializes uh, a bit more through some of the design trade-offs it makes, um, that means it can't fill other use cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and privacy may, is one of these really tricky things because um, privacy is one of the things where um, there may be some inherent trade-offs between uh, very, very strong privacy and uh, sound soundness of the monetary policy. Uh, yeah, well, and, let, let's get it. Okay, go. I'm sorry, can I interrupt? Yeah, so so from that perspective, it's 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 not about choosing one that does everything. It's about choosing one that's best to onboard new users and then bringing along all of the tools that can fit into any job that's needed in any different environment. But do, do you think potentially promoting Bitcoin in its current form uh, is dangerous at all? I mean, like like you said, uh, you know, it, it's we 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 we. We have things like uh, we we pay or whatever it is they're using. You know th- these things in China where where it's you know it's it's completely tracked and it's uh, um, you know uh, c- can be used for for mass. It is used for mass surveillance. But then yeah. but then we're kind of selling uh, what is the solution, which is Bitcoin, but which has the potential to be kind of the wet dream of surveillance as everybody opts into this uh, transparent ledger where all transactions are perfectly viewable, uh, perfectly traceable, and saved for eternity. Um, do you see that as possibly being uh, you know, a bad thing to be promoting Bitcoin as, as kind of the holy grail of avoiding uh, the surveillance state when it could potentially uh, create the opposite effect? Well, I mean, first of all, I, I don't promote it as the holy grail of avoiding the surveillance state. So I've been very clear from early days that 
uh, Bitcoin is weakly pseudonymous, it's not anonymous, and that we need to do a lot more work at the privacy layer and also enable privacy by default um, as much as possible in all of the user interfaces. Um, but again, one of the challenges we have is that as it stands at the moment, this is what we have as the best way to get liquidity into various parts of the world. This is the system that can actually resist um, the kind of state-level attacks. Uh, and this is the system that has developed the brand recognition. Um, so you know it's 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 something that gets us um, where we need to go next. For many, many people around the world, the much bigger problem isn't uh, strong anonymity. It's, it's actually liquidity and inflation protection. And many of the places I travel to, um, we see these very strict currency controls, etc. So there are exceptions. There are regimes. Um, and I would think China is probably the, the, the biggest example of that, where the kind of dystopian tech surveillance state is is very sophisticated and very powerful, um, where in fact that that becomes a problem. But for the vast majority of the world, you know, if if you look at uh, all of South America, all of Africa, all of Southeast Asia, the problem they don't they don't have a problem of a, a giant big brother tech surveillance sophisticated engine trying to follow them. They have the problem of a bumbling incompetent bureaucracy destroying the value of their money and then trying to take them hostage. They don't need anonymity. They need liquidity first. So. Uh, there's no perfect solution, I think, and in many cases, I'm a pragmatist. I'm not going to try to make something happen that isn't happening and then walk away from something that can actually get us there. Because, as I said, I think of this as when we open the door with Bitcoin, we, we pull in every other choice behind it. Okay. I mean, I got my first Monero with Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, 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 I often right. Who didn't? How right. many people got Monero directly fiat to Monero? Probably not that many. And, and again, if the on ramp there is either an ATM with a camera on it or an exchange, then did you really achieve anything? Right. I guess. I guess then what what I think about because that's that kind of seems to be the ultimate. I, and I know you're not. I know I'm not saying you're arguing Bitcoin versus Monero. Uh, but others that that that's like the the ultimate argument is well bitcoin has the network effect it's the first but you know first mover advantage is an advantage it's it's not a guarantee right it's not first mover right. guarantee no, and, and and network no. network effect obviously isn't a guarantee otherwise that would mean bitcoin can never take over you know the us dollar and we we all we all think that's certainly possible uh, right. but the, but but i guess the the bigger question or why, why I uh, get more excited about Monero than Bitcoin, because I feel like it's kind of solved the issues that you that that Bitcoin can't really adopt an ad, uh, which mm -hmm. is, you know, the fact that it is fungible and private on the core protocol level. So right. what, what's what's your take there? Do you think uh, Bitcoin could ever become fungible on the core protocol level? Uh, is it is it is it? Uh, fundamentally flawed the fact that it's that it's not private and fungible at the core protocol level and could and could that ever change for bitcoin um i think it could and, and i think part of part of what happens is that we'll see how 
the environment pushes various cryptocurrencies into different evolutionary paths, depending on what pressures it applies. So, for example, right now, um, you know, Bitcoin solves different problems. Uh, it's currently solving problems of access and liquidity, and it's trying to do so um, by having a lot of developers and a lot of APIs and a lot of exchanges and a lot of liquidity, as well as a very robust proof of work. Uh, network that is highly, highly resistant to attack. Those are different problems. That doesn't mean they're not big problems to solve or better problems. It depends what the circumstances are. But you know, I can imagine a situation where we see direct attacks against the fungibility in places where uh, it's a big problem, forcing uh, not just Bitcoin but every cryptocurrency to take a sharp turn towards. Um, greater uh, stealthiness, anonymity, privacy, fungibility, um, and you know one of the projects I'm working on now, which is Lightning Network, is a is a great solution to improving privacy in my mind, which is to basically take the vast, vast, vast majority of the transactions off the chain um, and make it so difficult to do analysis because they're all directly peer to peer. There are many ways to to peel this onion, um, to, to, to use a pun that refers to onion routing. Uh, and we're, we're going to explore all of them. And so, so that's, the, that's the thing. And I don't think the first mover advantage is insurmountable. I just think the first mover advantage, in order to, for it to be surmounted, I guess is the correct word, um, would have to, we'd have to see a, a, a very significant change in the conditions of the market. Um, the change in the conditions of the market that undermines the first mover advantage of fiat, especially the U.S. dollar, was the 2008 crisis. It wasn't a coincidence that Bitcoin was launched then. Um, now, is there going to be another event that causes such a disruption in the environment that it tips the first mover advantage of Bitcoin? Possibly, uh, and it might be a privacy event. In, in which case, I, I, you know, that's why I. I pay a lot of attention to all of the coins that specialize in privacy, and I talk about them a lot. You know, it's it's my number one topic. If you look at my videos, yeah, no, and I, I definitely look at. I I watch all your videos. Um, so I guess I would you agree or uh, that that the kind of the core value proposition <laughs> of Bitcoin and basically what uh, what was written in the Satoshi white paper, the invention itself. It was digital cash, peer-to-peer -peer digital cash. Would you agree that that is kind of the core value proposition of crypt the invention of cryptocurrency? Um, no, not really. Well, uh, first of all, I, I, I don't think that um, a, a creator of a software system gets to pick the application in advance and then make it stick regardless of what the market wants. Um, nor was Satoshi prescient and omnipotent prophet who gets to see how this space evolves. With 10 years in, um, Satoshi didn't foresee a lot of the things that happened in Bitcoin, including ASICs, for example, as well as how the economy as a whole would evolve around it, uh, or the explosion of the um, altcoin ecosystem and everything else that's happened. So I, I don't take the white paper as gospel, nor do I think we're stuck in a specific pattern that was granted at Genesis, uh, and that's the only way it should happen. Um, yeah, I think I, the white paper actually speaks to both electronic cash um, 
and that's cash as a protocol, which I think uh, Bitcoin definitely fulfills, as well as sound money with limited issuance, um, which is also a role Bitcoin fulfills. And I don't think it's either or. You don't have to pick between digital cash and sound money. In fact, I think you, you, you can't really have um, digital cash with unsound money that lasts very long, and you can't have sound money without uh, velocity and economic activity. Neither of those is stable on its own. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you see the core. What do you see as being the core value proposition then of, of cryptocurrency? It's it's basically sound choice. sound money, no or choice. It's about it's it's about network money basically. It's the ability to run uh, to run money as a protocol. It's the Internet of Money, and then uh, that creates choice and freedom for individuals to choose how to use it because the Internet has knocked down all of the borders. So I talk about the five pillars of uh, the open public blockchain. You know, it has the open, borderless, neutral, censorship persistent, immutable, um, public. You know, all of these pillars. Um, these are the representations of freedom that you get through decentralization. Um, and money as a protocol, the Internet of Money, to me, is the, is the thing that caught my attention. Because then you can fine-tune and play with the various characteristics of money and explore many different approaches, which is what's happened with the ecosystem of cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, All of that was made possible because we have protocol-based money. Uh, the rest is, you know, each thing will fit in its own niche. And we'll right. see how it plays out because you can't design it to a niche because the niche is ever changing. The market applications change and the market picks what it wants to do with your uh, design, regardless of what you thought the design was supposed to do. Okay. So, I mean, th- those five, do you think Bitcoin is digital gold or do you not, do you not like saying that uh, either? Do you, do you uh, align with that? The uh, the digital gold uh, meme. I think I think Bitcoin is digital gold as much as cars are a super fast gasoline ingesting horse. It's a metaphor, and that metaphor only stretches so far before it's meaningless. Um, so I was never much of a gold bug, um, and the definition of digital gold I think puts Bitcoin into a bit of a kind of niche that is narrow, uh, I think it's a lot more than digital gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you know, it's, it's not digital gold. It's mm-hmm. not uh, digital cash. It's cryptocurrency. Right. Uh, and- what is cryptocurrency related to gold? It's a whole new thing. And all of the words we had for analyzing and describing it no longer apply because it isn't those things. Mm-hmm. So we need new words to describe it. And we're still discovering what it is, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm not all. trying to be slippery. No, I, no, I not at all. I, I agree with you on all these things. I mean, I, I, you I, know, those, I those are the major... the answers, right? Yeah. And, and, yeah, I, yeah. And, I, and I don't think trying to kind of like push into specific answers does a service to anyone mm-hmm. because um, yeah, it just, just limits our thinking. Yep. No, I totally, I totally agree with you. It's just, it's just sometimes for, for discussion, you know, it's sometimes it's, it's nice to frame things for, um, 
So but yes. we can we can even ignore the digital. I just see, so maybe those are the potential uh, initial use cases, right? So the the killer apps are, right. are, are digital and gold. The use cases have changed right. quite a bit over the past ten years for Bitcoin, right? There was a period of time when Bitcoin had a very very strong undercurrent for retail use, especially e-commerce, mm -hmm. right? And what changed, in my opinion wasn't so much the scalability as what we hit the limits of what the user interface could do. But at the same time, one of the big changes was the tax treatment in the United States, because 90% of the activity was happening in the United States. And when you slap capital gains calculations and accounting on every cup of coffee, um, that will very seriously become a ridiculous burden. Um, that's the reason I stopped using Bitcoin for retail and stop doing small transactions, not because I couldn't um, or because I, the fees overwhelm me. That's actually not true. If you have a wallet that manages fees well, it's perfectly possible to use. Um, it was because the accounting burden became ridiculous. And I think a lot of other people under, underestimate the impact of that. Mm -hmm. um, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. The use cases are going to constantly keep changing. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I just want to go through. So I was trying, yeah, I was trying to use that as a way to kind of like, you know, like I said, keep us within a framework. Because what I what, what I want to talk about too is if we could go through. So like, I, I'm sure you would agree that uh, security, security of the protocol is is a major uh, component of Bitcoin, right? So that that might be one of their largest concerns that the that the protocol is secure. Um, and so then I I would weigh that against something like Monero. And, and I want to do this to weigh it against Monero, you know, kind of a Bitcoin versus Monero, if you don't mind. Um, so because I, I look at that and because we often hear that, that that's the number one concern. You touched upon it a little bit. Uh, so the concern being that Monero, I guess, could potentially be secretly inflated and um, there we, we could get into that. Um, but when you look at Bitcoin and if if the main concern for Bitcoin is security, I guess people in the Monero community would say, well, then why is it capped at 21 million uh, when we then don't know whether or not uh, Bitcoin will continue to be secured and mined uh, in the future once we reach that cap? Doesn't that, doesn't that kind of uh, leave a big question mark there or, uh, about the security of Bitcoin in the future, given that, that it's capped? As opposed to something like Monero that has a tail emission and will know that it will forever be mined uh, uh, to some degree. Right. So, so the idea being what happens after the block subsidy uh, drops to zero and then how are miners rewarded? That kind of idea. So yeah. I do get that kind of question a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, th that happens um, so gradually uh, and with such amount of foreknowledge that um, miners anticipate and incorporate that into their calculations years before it happens and the price adjusts accordingly. So I don't think that's a really big issue. We, we've seen that even though the, the halving uh, of the block subsidy happens at a kind of stair-step algorithm where it's like sudden drops, um, the actual price response to that and the hash power response to that is much more smooth and granular because it's so anticipated and there's so many other factors that play into this. So, you know, the counterpart to the block subsidy is also, you know, the, the density of the hashing, uh, the, the silicon fabrication density for transistors, the uh, cost of electricity, the price of Bitcoin, the operational efficiency of miners, the logistics supply chain, and all of the other factors that go into that. 
and of course the fees, right? Because um, a, a, a lot of this depends on whether we continue to do um, granular transactions on chain or whether we move the majority of granular transactions, more than 99% of them off chain. <clears throat> and you know it's not it's not a either or today more than 80% of all transactions on bitcoin and most cryptocurrencies happen off chain uh, and they happen in the sql databases of centralized exchanges you know when you buy and sell monero on an exchange or when you buy and sell bitcoin on an exchange you're not doing on chain transactions you're doing a a, a sql update in the table of account balances that's an off chain transaction and the difference is that that's a trusted third-party off-chain transaction rather than a trustless off-chain transaction as you can have with other layer two systems, atomic swaps, and things like that. Um, now, with, um, with the possibility that we have uh, still a majority of the transactions happening off-chain, but happening on a private off-chain environment, and then you just do settlement and batching on-chain, then you can accommodate uh, fewer transactions with higher fees and still have a very, very viable system. Uh, and those fees more than compensate miners. And because it happens very, very gradually, that's not really a problem. Another big thing that you mentioned, you know, to use the comparison between Monero and, and Bitcoin, um, from my understanding, Monero doesn't have uh, a block limit or a block size um, limit, so it dynamically adjusts, uh, similar to how Ethereum's uh, gas limits dynamically adjust. Um, you know, whereas Bitcoin has uh, a fixed block size that's only being increased once uh, with segregated witness in, in 2017, um, I don't expect that to remain forever fixed at that value. So one of the reasons, one of the ways that you have miners making uh, a perfectly good amount of reward from blocks is by increasing the size over time as the hardware accommodates that and having more transaction fees, perhaps higher transaction fees, but for fewer transactions that represent batching. I don't think this is an insurmountable problem. Not only do I not think it's an insurmountable problem, it's just so far in the future that it's not a priority right now. And, and when the scaling debate happens, um, you know, I, I used to believe that we should have bigger blocks sooner. And then around 2015, I changed my mind and I said, actually, no, let's not. Um, a lot of people were very surprised that I changed my mind on that. Part of the reason I changed my mind is because I saw that the, the level of debate uh, that was happening and the power play had shifted from how should we increase the block size and how much should we increase the block size to who should make that decision, who should have the power to make that decision I have the power to make that decision. You know, it, it turned into a power play. Um, and at that point, I thought, well, if these changes are going to be so contentious and it's going to be such a big power play, and scaling isn't an immediate right now concern to shift that debate, what is an immediate right now concern that we should get through? And that was when I started advocating for privacy before scaling, not instead of before. Um, it's about sequencing. I think scaling can be done in the future, including scaling up the block size. Um, it's just not urgent right now, whereas privacy and more fungibility enhancements in the base layer are much more urgent right now. 
So I guess going back then, so do you think yeah, Bitcoin, it may be a bit of a tangent. <laughs> Bitcoin, Bitcoin will achieve privacy at the protocol level? I, I think we're, we're certainly moving in that direction. It's not going to be just at the protocol level. It's going to be a combination of techniques. Um, and I think we can achieve stronger privacy, especially if pushed to do so because of the circumstances around us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, some some of the changes that are coming now, which are Snore signatures, Tap scripts, uh, Tap roots, Mast, etc., these help make all transactions indistinguishable from single public key, single payment transactions, even if they have complex scripts. That's a very good enhancement. Um, aggregated signatures and threshold signatures through um, Schnorr increase privacy. And then, of course, you have the, the work that's happening on second layer transactions. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, uh, however, some of the more uh, um, strong fungibility changes, like confidential transactions. I know that um, Monero has a plan for Ring CT, as it's called. Is that correct? Yeah, well, we already have Yeah, Ring Confidential Transactions is, is part Mark. of Monero. Yeah. So um, the problem with that is is the thing that we've seen happen in, in Zcash and others, which is it may be a trade-off against uh, the soundness of the monetary policy, meaning that if you have very strong confidential transactions, encryptions of the value, a bug in that system can cause uh, an inflation bug. So maybe that's not a direction that Bitcoin wants to follow. I used to think it, it was a direction we should follow. Now I'm thinking maybe it's not a good trade-off, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean our our investigation on that. So, well, that that's why I was getting at the security because that that seems to be the argument then. So uh, Bitcoin is more concerned about security, therefore uh, they wouldn't risk implementing something like uh, Ring Confidential Ring CT uh, for those risks that you're saying. But my my understanding is in talking with Andrew Polstra and others that 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 risk is really about the, the fear. Uh, not that not that the coin can't be audited because it can with math. It's just a little more complicated than auditing Bitcoin. Uh, but it, it it is auditable. Uh, it's just more so the fear that you know uh, when quantum if uh, if or ever quantum computers get to the point where they could uh, you know uh, break break Monero and and secretly mine without it without it being known. But then at that point you're 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 just as likely to use that that same quantum computer to break a bitcoin private key. So I feel like that that argument kind of falls right. apart. Um so it's like I mean, bitcoin it, is I, just as susceptible as monero just kind of in a different way. It just breaks in a different yes. way. It, in a different way. And I think th that represents part of the culture of bitcoin which is that um until now it has proven very beneficial to bitcoin's overall security to keep things simple. Um, and to keep things very conservative in terms of how much change is introduced, how long it takes to introduce change, how radical that change is, how much complexity introduces to the protocol. Um, and part of the reason for that is because one of the burdens of having the first mover advantage and having the highest profile means that you get the highest degree of attacks and the, the most attacks and the most sophisticated attacks and the more likelihood that if state level actors are going to attack something, they're going to attack Bitcoin before Monero. And so from that perspective, it serves well to be very conservative in development. Uh, you know, in fact, I've argued that uh, by Bitcoin picking off that burden, 
and 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 providing a, a very simple but very robust system that can feed liquidity into all of the other coins it actually frees up a lot of the cryptocurrency space to be much more daring in its experimentation um so it's like um think of it as monero has a big brother and if monero gets in trouble big brother's going to step in uh and and fight the bullies um there's always that fallback if there's a, if there's uh a massive currency embargo if we end up in a very very hostile environment in terms of currency wars um bitcoin has your back it's it's the ultimate source of reserve liquidity that is very difficult to to shut down or stop um so i mean that gives and i i make the same argument with for example ethereum and zcash and other systems that are doing a lot of experimentation it gives you the freedom to be much more daring in the experiments um maybe i'm right maybe i'm wrong who knows uh as i said i don't see it as one versus the other mm -hmm. so yeah i'm, tr I'm trying to so security so yeah that so I, I would argue that potentially monero is is more secure than bitcoin because of the fact that that we know that monero will 100 be mined and secured uh in the future because of the tail emission as opposed to uh, relying on a prediction that it it that there may be a fee market there and it may be mined and you know not really knowing what's going to happen with Bitcoin if if a large majority of the transactions move to a second layer how that's going to affect let's affect try the incentive that system too I mean right no just yeah, yeah just love to hear yeah think, think of this from the perspective of uh, I don't know if you play Dungeons and Dragons or role playing games right. Not everyone can be a tank. Not everyone can be a rogue. If you have a team that's all rogues, you're screwed. <laughs> Sometimes you need that. You need a, a, a team that has different skills, different capabilities, different defenses, um, so that the thing that kills one of you doesn't kill the other. We need that diversity. And so let's try both options. It's, it's no, no sweat off my back, you know? Fungibility, we obviously know we would we obviously know there's an issue there with Bitcoin. Uh we're yes. seeing that now even in the news in the mainstream. Um Well, you, I mean, I, I, actually I wanna I wanna touch on that because um I think what we're seeing in the news is is an attempt to attack again, Bitcoin's taking all of the attacks. Nobody talks about the dark markets that use Monero, and that's a good thing. I hope they don't. Um but um, I, I'm happy for, for Bitcoin to take some of these um, hits and protect all of the other cryptocurrencies. Because, you know, there was this big news story about this giant ring of child pornographers who got taken down with, because they were able to trace the transactions uh, through Bitcoin. Um, <clears throat> bullshit. Um, <laughs> I don't buy that for a second. Um, I think that this was the outcome of uh, good investigative techniques that were highly targeted, that used um, human intelligence as well as computer forensics technology together. And they were able to crack this case because they did good old traditional policing. Bitcoin isn't supposed to resist targeted investigations, and I don't think as a society necessarily you want that. In that, if I capture your laptop and your laptop has 
the private keys on it. Yeah, I can find out what transactions you did. And that applies to Bitcoin, Monero, Zcash, or anything else. If you can see them and I take your computer system, I can see them too. Um, what we should be thinking about is this asymmetry of surveillance, meaning that I want systems where if there is probable cause and due process and a, and a person who's doing things that as a society we don't want them doing, and you have the basis to, to find that person, um, you can find out, perhaps in retrospect, what they've done with their systems. Um, that's not a bad thing. What I, what I want to ensure is that the same technology can't be used to surveil everyone, everywhere, all the time, just in case one of them buys something, right? So it's this mass surveillance versus individualized surveillance that has to do with suspicion, right? They can't surveil all of us all the time. But if, 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 um, if law enforcement, for example, is willing to put in the resources to go after a, a child pornography ring, and they're willing to do the human intelligence, they're willing to do the investigation, and they capture things like computers that allow them to build up an evidentiary trail by finding what transactions people have done. I don't know many people who would argue that that's a bad thing. Um, maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. So I don't think they actually used Bitcoin to crack the case. I think they used Bitcoin um, perhaps to validate evidence they had from other places after they had already narrowed their suspicion to very specific servers. The real thing that happened was they leaked an IP address inside the HTML of an onion routed server. And from that, they were able to home in on where these servers were being held. Then they went to the media and they made this whole big fuss about Bitcoin. And the reason they did that is because at the same time, the Attorney General William Barr was pushing this very, very specific song that we've heard for the last 20 years, which is, we're losing access, crypto is creating a dark world, um, and we're losing access to information to do our job as law enforcement. It's this classic thing they've been doing since the Clinton era of trying to demonize encryption and tell us that unless they can surveil everyone all the time, they they have to uh, we're going to basically have bad things happen. The mm -hmm. truth is that's that's not that's not the case. So the news was about how Bitcoin helped them solve the case. That didn't actually happen. I very much doubt it. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I have very strong doubts about that. Well, okay, but even that aside, you know, we we agree that, or you think that 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 chain analysis is obviously a very real thing and can be done. Yes. Quite quite easily on 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 Bitcoin versus it something can be like done quite easily on most uh, systems. Yes, but why? Why is chain chain analysis so effective? Um, the primary reason chain analysis is so effective is not because you can simply go in with a blockchain explorer and look at all the addresses. If all you could do was simply go in and look at all of the addresses, you'd be fucked. You'd you'd be you'd have very little uh, ability to do that. Um, because the vast majority of the people who are trying to hide something uh, would be sophisticated and working hard enough to not associate addresses, not reuse addresses, not taint addresses. Now, it's harder to do in Bitcoin, but it's still doable. The primary reason why chain analysis works is because 90% or more of the people who get into crypto 
go through a regulated exchange with KYC that is that is basically streaming their entire identity database uh, to these firms in return for getting risk ratings from these firms. So if all of the exchangers are first collecting all of your private information and then streaming it directly to chain analysis, it doesn't matter if your underlying uh, blockchain is transparent or not. Without that, the KYC exchanges, um, they wouldn't have uh, a hope of, of tracking things. So I, I, don't, I don't think that chain analysis is as simple as people think it is, um, if people take sufficient uh, operational security. I, I recently went with a friend um, and looked at an... Uh, I found an ATM that did... Um, that did Monero. You could put cash in and get Monero out, which I thought was pretty damn cool. And I went there and I looked it in. I, I being someone who uh, dabbles in security for the past 20 years, I looked at it and I looked at the big security picture. And yes, the ATM would give you Monero for your cash without any ID. Um, but it would give it to you in a paper wallet that it, uh, that it generated itself rather than scanning a receive address from your wallet. So there's a problem. And it was surrounded by cameras and had a camera built into the screen. Uh, you know, it, you can't solve security with one thing only, and you can't solve privacy with one thing only. It's a full spectrum game. Philosophically speaking, do you, do you think something like Monero is, 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 is a tool uh, that will benefit society versus uh, something that's more transparent, like like Bitcoin. Do you? I mean, like 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 we just said, we just gave the absolutely the the, the ultimate example. Uh, you know, the the worst thing. You know, child porn, and um, luckily because they were using Bitcoin. Obviously, you're saying that's not the case, but let's assume that was the case because it was the chain analysis done on Bitcoin. They were able to to stop these people. Uh, but potentially with Monero, it would have been more difficult, if not impossible, to do. Not really. It would have, it would it would have been equally easy to do as long as they had individualized. I mean, they found an IP address that was leaked through an HTML page. It would have been just as easy to you know as they did break down the door, grab the laptop, and if they have the private keys for Monero, they can see all of the transactions. They might not be able to find all of the other people who were involved, right? Um, the customers. Uh, necessarily, but it was certainly broken down that ring quite effectively. So, but philosophically speaking, ultimately, you're you're okay with a tool like Monero, where where it is. I'm not. It's okay. I'm 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 absolutely in favor of it. So, philosophically speaking, um, I, I would guess I'm I'm more of a utilitarian when it comes to morality, which is maximizing the the the, the happiness, freedom, and safety of as many people as possible. So, when I look at how you know, this is about the asymmetry of evil. Um, evil is a, a phenomenon that occurs on an individual basis in a vanishingly small percentage of the human population, right? Um, especially this kind of evil. Um, and, you know, we can talk about whether the, these things should be addressed through various forms of societal intervention, mental health, et cetera, et cetera. Forget that. Let's just say, if a vanishingly small amount of people can are evil or do evil things, and they can affect an equally vanishingly small amount of people directly through their evil 
task. So what does it take for evil to become large scale? What it takes is, is for evil to be behind an institutional engine that can affect the lives of many. Right. So I weigh these two and I think how many evil child pornographers can affect how many children versus how many evil state sponsored surveillance fascists, uh, totalitarian authoritarian governments can enslave one and a half billion people as is happening in China today and affect the lives radically of one and a half billion people or what's happening in North Korea or what happened in uh, Cambodia with Pol Pot, or what happened with Stalin in Russia, or what happened with uh, Germany. So to do evil at scale, it takes institutions, and those institutions depend on the ability to remove choice from human beings at scale. That is not the act of one deranged mind. That is the act of a deranged mind at the head of an architecture of evil that can remove choice from billions. So, when it comes to what does privacy do for the individual, what does crypto do for the individual, it empowers the evil child pornographer, but it also empowers one and a half billion people in China to escape uh, a fascist dictatorship or communist dictatorship, call it whatever you want, doesn't matter, a dictatorship. Um, it empowers those same people to evade. So my answer is, for every bad thing that crypto does, use more crypto to do good things. For every bad thing that privacy enables, use more privacy to do good things. For every dictator who uses who uses crypto, such as Monero, to evade sanctions by foreign governments, we give crypto, such as Monero, or whatever, to its citizens to evade the dictator. Dictators evade sanctions, citizens evade dictators. On the one hand, you've got one dictator evading sanctions in the coterie of yes-men and, and sycophants who surround them. On the other hand, you're empowering a billion and a half people or a billion people. And history is a series of questions about that, right? Um, whether you, you want to take it in the, in the form of the Star Trek ideal, you know, how can we do the most good for the most people? Um, so I think privacy as a fundamental human right in the hands of the masses produces good on a scale of billions, whereas privacy in the hands of the very few who want to do evil produces evil on the scale of hundreds of people, maybe thousands. And in that balance, I'm always for empowering. That's one aspect. The other aspect is much more pragmatic. If you try to stop this technology from reaching people, the people who want to do evil will still get it because the evil they're doing is much bigger than the punishment for having crypto or whatever it may be. So they're already going to commit unspeakable evil. Adding crypto to that long list of offenses isn't really a problem for them. Whereas if you make it so that people who otherwise don't want to break the law have to break the law just to achieve basic freedoms, privacy, um, sovereignty, uh, expression, association, political uh, will, vote, etc. Um, yes, you will discourage the vast majority of them from doing that. So the bad people will still have crypto, and then you just took it away from the good people. So on the one hand, I see it as a balance of um, most people want to do good, so let's give them the tools to do good on a massive scale, and let's not allow people to do evil on a massive scale by removing their ability to scale. And on the other hand, if you try to ban it, that ban will uh, 
will absolutely affect the good people and will probably not affect the bad people at all. So philosophically, all right. go for it. maximum privacy, uh, maximum security for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Uh, and some evil things are going to happen. Um, they were happening anyway, um, but we can do some real good in this world. We uh, couldn't agree with you more here on this show. How about, uh, so we talked about fungibility, we talked about security, how about censorship resistance? So obviously that's kind of, a, uh, you know, one of the pillars, uh, I guess you would say, of Bitcoin. Is Monero potentially more censorship resistant as well than Bitcoin? Obviously, I think you would agree it's more fungible in its current form than Bitcoin. Uh, is it more censorship resistant? I don't really know. Um, argument being, I'll give you the argument being, argument being that uh because because it's private uh bitcoin lack lacking privacy and fungibility and having more centralized uh mining uh you know governments can essentially knock on the doors of, of miners and ask them to censor transactions um and the fact that it's that it's uh um traceable uh yes you may be able to send a transaction without being stopped uh but you could kind of be stopped after the fact because right. it was seen that that transaction was made. Um, yeah. So the fact that Bitcoin l lacks um, a, decentralized, uh, a decentralized mining network being one thing, and the fact that it la lacks privacy, therefore, uh, you know, transactions, you may not be able to stop them from actually happening, but you could uh, effectively stop them because you could see which transactions are being made when. So d does that tie into censorship resistance do you yeah i think that's a very good argument because um uh, the freedom to do something if there are uh, enormous consequences of the back end and you can be stripped of privacy is one of the reasons why i talk about privacy as a fundamental human right that underpins the expression of all of the other rights um, I'll give you a perfect example of that uh, in north korea they have elections and you can vote for whoever you want um, they have made one simple improvement on the electoral system, uh, which is they don't have curtained booths. Um, you pick up your ballot and in, on the table in front of all of the military officials, you mark your ballot in front of them and then you put it in the box. You can vote for whoever you want. right? <laughs> so um, with the lack of privacy, voting, gone. Expression, gone. Association, gone. Uh, all of the other freedoms pretty much gone as soon as you remove privacy. So the ability to do something anonymously actually gives you the ability to remove the ex post facto consequences that would make such actions unthinkable um, if, you, if you didn't have that privacy. So um, with you on that, the argument about uh, Bitcoin mining being more centralized and uh, people being able to knock on the doors of the miners and tell them to stop is absolute and total tosh in my mind uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, because uh, when people talk about centralization of Bitcoin mining, they're mostly talking about mining pools, not mining farms. Um, we know that mining farms are much more distributed than mining pools. 
And for the most part, they're very uh, difficult to find, at least in large enough numbers to make a difference. So if you do go and try to stop people from mining transactions, you would have to get an overwhelming percentage of the hash rate. Uh, at this point, if you shut down all of the miners in China and the hash rate dropped uh, dramatically, to give an extreme example, which by the way, practically does not work uh, for so many reasons, um, our hash rates would drop to where it was at the end of 2017. Oh dear, we're doomed. <laughs> right? so hash rate has quadrupled um, in, in the past uh, year and a half. So effectively, you'd lose 75% of your hash rate and maybe 80% of your hash rate, and you'd be right back where we were in 2017. Was the network resistant to attack then? Yep. Still not enough hash rate to change things. Now, if you shut it down, if you use that hash rate to censor transactions, that means that your transaction would only get in once every four blocks. Um, so again, how easy is it to... And that's assuming that you could actually go and stop all of these. This is how the scenario actually plays out. The uh, Grand Puba from the Central Committee calls down to the regional director of the county of wherever, and says, do you have any Bitcoin mining in your, in your area? And, and they say, no, we don't. Yeah, we do. Uh, or they say, you must shut it down right now. Yes, sir, we will shut it down right now. Shut it down, boys. Great. Thank you so much. Turn it back on, boys. Because come on, like they're getting bribed. Everybody from the police chief down is getting bribed at every level in these in these places. And if they're not getting bribed right now, the moment they say shut it down, the bribes are going to be start flowing. In many of the places where this mining is happening, it's the largest source of revenue uh, in taxes for the municipal government and the largest source of bribes for every official in that government. Are they going to be able to shut it down so easily? Guess what? These people are getting bribed in Bitcoin, of course. Um, maybe they should get bribed in Monero. I don't know. But the bottom line is, it's not so easy to do. So censorship resistance um, means a lot more than just, can you mine the transaction? It also means, can you access a wallet that works on your device that is easy enough to use that most of the people who need to use it can use it? You know, one of the big problems I have when trying to use Monero is that the availability of wallets that, that um, exist on a variety of platforms that are non-custodial is very limited compared to Bitcoin. Um, you know, at the same time, um, the ease of use of those wallets is, is, is not there yet. So these are all barriers to access. Um, liquidity is a barrier to access. Again, so you've got to think about censorship resistance, security and privacy as big picture. And there are many dimensions to it. And you can't just optimize one of the dimensions and say, there, we got it. Uh, you have to think about it more pragmatically, in, in, my, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. One of the things that, that I've had a lot of trouble with Monero is the fact that it has the mnemonic seed system built in, but it's incompatible with every other cryptocurrency out there, which means that you have to learn and use a completely different set of tools in order to manage Monero seeds than you do uh, you know, BIP39 seeds that are used, um, or mnemonics, sorry, which are used throughout uh, the industry. That's, that's a barrier to adoption. So all of these little barriers can cause 
um, effectively problems with privacy and security and censorship resistance simply by reducing access, which is why I take the big picture approach. Um, maybe we need both. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, no, that's a good point. It's not just about the the mining itself, but the the access. I I, I would have agreed with you if it was you know uh, two years ago. But you, the Monero community has come quite some some way in its usability. Uh, like with at the outset of the it show, has. we've we've pitched Very cake, so. cake wallet. I don't know if you ever used, and I'm sure I if mean, you, I I'm sure if you so. were to uh, or Monero if you were to download either of those, Android. Yes, it works on yeah, Android. I, I use I use Monarucho. Oh, if you if you if you sent I, if you sent I, out a, I, I used it a month ago, and oh. um, it's not easy to use. Uh, I'm I'm having really? um, some, yeah, absolutely, oh. it's not. Um, and, and I'm not saying that to bash it. Uh, it's just still there is a bit of a gap there. Okay, uh, in, I, I, in usability, it's still hard. And and I would love to see that be absolutely more polished um so so that more people can use it um, yeah 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 so i i mean that as constructive and positive criticism because i want to see uh better better user interface i think a lot of the things we do in crypto live or die at the user interface level yeah um so for example if i'm sitting there and for 15 minutes it's, it's um sinking and trying to catch up um which, which has been my experience with with Monero uh, wallets on mobile. Uh, it's 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 a really big problem, um, especially if you're standing in front of an ATM. Yeah, I would say. Uh, well, my my Monero is something to to look into as well. They they try to overcome that issue of 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 the lag using some some creative means. But yeah, no, I I have, I, to, I, I have to dive in and explore yeah. again. You know, yeah. I'll be honest with you. As you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's not that I'm not interested in Monero or not uh, fascinated by it. In fact, I'm, it's just that my limited time has to focus on on just the few things that I can cram into my brain as fast as possible. And uh, I'm sure many here would be happy to uh, educate or help educate you in any way possible. If you, if you, if you tweet about it, I'm sure people would, would, oh, would even, yeah. would even potentially donate, donate to the, some of these wallets. Um, yeah. well, and, and, uh, and nobody would know that interest for me. What's that? To, it's it's potentially dangerous for me to tweet out. Um, hey, I'm looking into X Y Z Monero wallet. Can you help me? And not dangerous. It's just it's going to get very annoying on my on my feed uh, for the next couple of days uh, as I get attacks from <laughs> every side by annoying trolls. But I will tell you this. I, I want to put a bit of a plug here. Um, one of the ways I've learned about Monero has been through the book Mastering Monero. Uh, written by Sir, Sir Hack. I, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. Um, kudos. I mean, that's it's a well-written book. It's It's got some great illustrations. It's easy to understand and pick up. It's got some really uh, great comparisons. You can jump into it if you're uh, from Bitcoin. And most importantly, it's open source. It's on GitHub. Um, I, I, I'd like to think that some of that was inspiration from the way I released and published Mastering Bitcoin. I hope so. Uh, but well done. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a great resource and I learned a lot from it. I'm sure he would very much appreciate that. Um, I guess if we could, as a final thing, if we could maybe just touch on some of the technical aspects. 
So dynamic block size, you mentioned, obviously that being mm -hmm. a, a big difference between Bitcoin and Monero. Uh, the tail emission, I don't know if you have any further comments there. The fact that uh, Monero has a tail emission and Bitcoin doesn't. Uh, the yeah. an anti-ASIC uh, proof of work. So Monero uh, strives to be anti-ASIC and it's uh, implementing yeah, it's random interesting. I mean. For for the people who are watching this show who are perhaps not not as familiar with Monero, um, the 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 mining algorithm in Monero is is memory heavy, um, and uh, the validation of transactions is CPU heavy, which means that uh, actually ASICs for miners don't work on both ends because validating the transactions, um, you know, validating and verifying the ring signatures on the transactions requires a lot of CPU. And then the mining algorithm itself blows up your memory. Uh, so it's very difficult to make uh, an ASIC that's competitive, uh, or at least as competitive uh, as to make it profitable vis-a-vis um, -vis high-end GPUs uh, or e even high-end CPUs with a lot of RAM. So that's, that's an interesting uh, trade-off. There is a bit of a double-edged sword, which is one of the things that I think uh, Satoshi didn't anticipate when when ASICs happened, which is it, it means the botnets can be can be used to mine Monero, which then provides a funding source for botnets because the more machines they compromise with a botnet, um, the more someone can mine Monero. So very early on, all of the botnet mining that was happening, you know, when you hear stories like. Uh, a thousand printers at a corporation were compromised or, or print servers or console gaming machines or whatever, and they're mining. The, the journalists will say, and they're mining Bitcoin, but they're not. They're actually mining um, some GPU mineable uh, cryptocurrencies. That's a bit of a trade-off. Um, yeah, are you, are you familiar with, with uh, RandomX? So RandomX is what Monero will be adopting actually this month uh, in its upgrade. Uh, oh, changing the mining algorithm. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, might be Monero's largest technological breakthrough in, mm -hmm. in years, and in, in, you know probably since the invention of Monero itself, uh, uh, invented by Howard Chu, the 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 concept of RandomX developed by Howard Chu. Uh, the idea being. Oh, tell me more about it. I, I did not know about this. Uh, well, I, I can't get too technical because I'm not that technical of a, of a person, but the idea being that Monero will not be, uh, will no longer be practically mineable by an ASIC. Um, so uh, the, the proof of work essentially changing and being random so that the, the most efficient. Oh, so you way, kept like keep switching algorithms or something? The most efficient way to, to, to mine Monero will now be with a CPU. So the CPU. Not even a GPU. Yes, yeah, CPUs will be the most efficient form of, oh, form of mining for. I mean, that, 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 that's the goal and that's the idea and that's uh, what is expected to be the case. Uh, so that, that might be something you want to look into. Uh, Absolutely. Well. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, any, any, any other, any other comments on Monero itself, anything, any, any advice to the Monero community, uh, that, that maybe we could take from your, your years of, of practice in, in crypto in general and in Bitcoin, anything to any advice to heed as we, uh, well, I, I'd be interested to find out, and I don't know enough about the underlying uh, technology as to whether Monero can do things like time locks. 
um, whether you can set a transaction to not be spendable until some future time, or whether it has like some basic scripting capability within uh, within the transactions so that you can do things like that, or if it's just simply digital signatures, uh, ring signatures effectively. Um, because one of the things I was thinking about, it would be very interesting to see more solutions for atomic swaps and even perhaps lightning network integration in the future with gateways that are trustless, that allow you to send Monero on one end and receive Bitcoin on the other or vice versa. Um, you know, I see the future of crypto as um, perhaps one or more networks uh, that overlap multiple chains underneath, where effectively the networks act as a giant decentralized exchange, where no matter what crypto you have, you're, um, you know, 100 milliseconds from having another crypto, and you can just basically switch on the fly uh, with very low switching costs, very low friction, um, and use whatever is appropriate for the current situation. That would actually, I think, bring us all together and, and make the whole ecosystem more effective. So I'd like to learn more about uh, how easy it is to integrate Monero into decentralized exchanges, atomic swaps, and even layer two networks. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I welcome everybody out there in the Monero sphere to uh, tweet Andreas with responses to oh, that. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there's there certainly are together. Just there certainly are over the next few days or weeks, please. There certainly are capabilities there, uh, not as robust as some of the other coins, only because well, Monero is unique, right? So it's it's not a copycat. Right. It's not a copycat coin. Uh, everything had to be built up from scratch. Uh, there is things like multi-sig and uh, there's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Tari project, but it's kind of proposing itself as uh, being the layer two to Monero. Um, oh, so I didn't know that. Well, that's interesting. Tari, yeah, started by uh, Fluffy Pony. Um, so that that's another thing to look into. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I, I welcome to the Monero community to, to, to reach out to you and hopefully uh, you'll embrace them. They'll be, I'm be sure, more than happy to share uh, all, all, all of the technical aspects with you. And uh, I'm always open to learning something new. The, the moment I lose my enthusiasm for learning and new technology, I'm done. Uh, so I'm always open to learning something more and trying something out, um, you know, and time permitting is is my my Achilles heel, right? It's that those two little words, time permitting. It's it's the most scarce resource for me, even more scarce than Bitcoin, is is time. And uh, I try my best to keep up with as many things as possible and 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 be informed as much as possible. So I welcome people sharing knowledge with me. Absolutely. Well, uh, I'm just gonna. I think this this is a good spot. Oh, did we lose you? I think we just lost Andreas at the end. I don't know what happened. Let's see if he comes back on. Just wanted to thank him. Oh no! Well, we may have lost him, but that's okay. We were gonna we were gonna end the stream anyway. Uh, it was a a great talk. Um, honored to have him on. It seems like Andreas is. Uh, very open to learning more about Monero and is enthusiastic about it as a technology that can live side by side with Bitcoin. Can uh, you still hear me? Yes. I was just, oh, I was just okay. saying, uh, 
I realized my camera wasn't plugged in, so it ran out of battery just as uh, we were <laughs> wrapping up. And then I had to frantically switch inputs so I could speak to you again. I'm sorry about that. No worries. Uh, no sound. My laptop's about to die next. And uh, I think this is a good time to say thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you, Andreas. Once again, we appreciate everything you've done for the crypto space. Appreciate you coming on the show and being so uh, open-minded as always and open to dis- uh, free and open discussion. And I really, truly do hope you uh, interact with the Monero community more. I'm sure they'll be happy to interact with you and help us uh, build Monero into what it needs to be to perform as digital cash. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, Doug, and, and, and for being so uh, welcoming. And I hope we do this again. Uh, have, have a great time. Thanks, Andreas. Bye.